a blessing it is uh, to, to be here. Thank you, Pastor Manny, for just the invitation to be with the church uh, this evening, this afternoon. I, it's a special thing for me to be here with you all. I, I, it's been a while, a few years since I've been here, and uh, the last times that I did have the opportunity to come, it was on a Sunday morning to lead worship a few times, and always a blessing to be here at Calvary Chapel Almani with with Pastor Manny, your, your pastor is such an encouragement to my own life, and you are blessed um, with such a shepherd in this place. Can we praise God for the shepherd that he's given this place right here? Amen. But I want to invite you uh, this evening to open your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to talk about this evening as I was praying, really asking the Lord what is it that he would have for me to share uh, with you? The Lord reminded me of a very important chapter in the Old Testament that means so much to me. And I pray that it would mean something new to you as well tonight. As Pastor Manny had mentioned, um, you know, the Lord really uh, worked in, in my life. And I, I had the opportunity to, uh, by his grace, to start and plant a church here in Rosemead. So, that's really how uh, you know Pastor Matty and I got really close because uh, I started Bible study right next in the city of Elmani, and the reason that happened was that I was living in Pomona, born and raised in Pomona, uh, dedicated through Calvary Chapel. That's all I've ever known, and um, you know I was going to Calvary Chapel Golden Springs with Pastor Rawl, and there I, I met my my wife, and you know I was leading worship for the college and career, and. I saw her out in the back, you know, that day, and I said, Lord, here I am, send me, you know, <laughs> and I, I talked to her, and you know what, the Lord's did a work there, and she started, work, she was working on staff, and we met, we got married there, and before we got married, two weeks after we had become engaged, uh, the Lord put it in my heart that I was to start a Bible study, and I said, Lord, I'll, I'll start a Bible study if you really want me to do it, because at that point, I knew that God had given me the, the gift and the calling of teaching. I was going to Bible college. I was leading worship. And he said, all right, start you know, a Bible study, and, and I want you to start it um, in Rosemead. And I said, Lord, what in the world? <laughs> Why in Rosemead? You know, I, I never thought in a million years that I would ever start a Bible study in Rosemead. And it was there in the house of that my wife was living in that, I, that one day I, I picked her up there for our very first date. And I drive to this place and I said, who in the world would ever live in Rosemead? And that, the Lord said, you're going to start a Bible study there now. And there we started a Bible study uh, in the living room with just three people. And the Lord really was honoring every step of faith that we were taking. And it was difficult at times. I remember when we started the Bible study, one time, sometimes there was three people, sometimes there was five people. And during that time, I was, I was leading worship here sometimes. I was wherever the Lord wanted because it was just the Bible study. And what happened is that, it, you know, I, I was given a few chairs from a, from a church to put there in my living room. And oftentimes, you know, it was my wife, myself, and two of her friends. And, you know, the enemy one time humiliated me. He said, look at that. You're not starting no Bible study. It's a small women's group now, you know. <laughs> You're just teaching two of her friends, and, and, and I would always tell her, you know what, just tell her we're not doing, tell, call everyone, tell them we're not having this anymore, you know, and um, before we did it, before she called, said, you know what, somebody called and asked if we're having the Bible study this week, and I would say, well, tell them this is the very last one then, <laughs> 
And you know what? Every week, the Lord would take us by a miracle to the next one. Well, eventually, you know, she said, you know what? Let's get rid of the the coffee table in our living room so we can make room for more people since they're coming. And we got rid of the coffee table, and then then we got rid of the TV. And then one day, I come from work uh, to teach the study, and then our couch is on the back of the bed of my brother's truck. And I said, what in the world has my wife done? (laughs) She gave away all our furniture. And you would walk into our living room, it was just hardwood floor. And chairs were set up, people were filling the living room. They started to sit in the kitchen table. My bedroom and my back room was a children's ministry. And I was like, Lord, what are you doing here? And I remember the Lord saying, I just want you to keep doing what I've called you to do here. And uh, He really called us to take a step of faith. And then we started Sunday morning services at a community center. And I remember every day the Lord would say, well, I want you to go out to Walmart and stand outside with your Bible and, you know, with a stack of flyers and invite people over to your house for a Bible study that you're doing. And I would, it was just, it sounded crazy. And I was standing out there outside of Walmart inviting people to my house. It probably sounded ridiculous to them because I wanted to teach them the Bible. And then what was more crazy is that they actually came. <laughs> and the Lord started to speak and work in their heart and they started to get saved, Right. And then the Lord put us at a community center, and from there, um, two years into the church, then uh, we were able to rent a facility. It was a commercial warehouse building there in Rosemead that borders Montebello, and I never wanted to ever get a building, and I don't know why. The people started just praying for a building, and they would be praying, Lord, give us a building, and in my mind, I would pray against that prayer. Lord, I never asked for that, <laughs> but the, one day, my mother-in-law calls me and says, I want you to go check out this building. And I go check out the building, and I was teaching through Joshua at the time, and the Lord said, you know what, if you want to take on this mountain, if you want this giant, I want you to kneel down right now in the parking lot, and I want you to start and pray. And I knew how much it cost. I said, Lord, no, thank you. I know how much it cost. He said, no, kneel down right now and start praying. And then I said, Lord, come on. You know I'm Calvary Chapel. We don't do that kind of stuff, you know. And he said, no, do it. So I, I was like, all right, Lord. I knelt down. I prayed. I said, Lord, if you want this, then I'll, then I'll do it. And I went home, and they called me back. They said, the property manager wants you to come look at this place. And he's rolling up that big bay door, and he says, well, you know what? When do you want to move in? I said, well, I wanted to be a good businessman. And I said, I know you're charging like about six grand for this place. This is two years into a church. Six grand is a lot of money a month. And he said, and I said, well, if you bring it down a thousand dollars a month then we'll do it i didn't have a thousand dollars about five thousand dollars either i just want to be a good businessman <laughs> i didn't even have that <laughs> but i thought if i just you know i'm just going to give it a shot and he said okay let me talk to the owner and it all worked out we moved in and the lord started to add to the church and it was growing and it was growing and it was growing and for three years we're in that place you know a lot of new families uh, we did outreaches in the city. It was such a blessing. And then the Lord, uh, two years ago, called us to do something I never thought we would ever have to do. And He called us to uproot that church and then to take it to another church called Calvary Chapel of Downey over a series of just months of praying. And I remember praying and praying and praying. And the Lord brought me to this scripture that I want to share with you tonight that's very dear to me and I pray to you as well. Because what I was asking the Lord, He was wrestling with Him, Lord, why, why would I ever do this? You started such a beautiful work. Nobody understands. I don't even understand this. And for the, the two years, I'd ask the Lord, Lord, 
This is your church. I would always tell the church, I'm not the pastor of the church. Jesus is the pastor of this church. And I remember one time praying and wrestling with God in the middle of the night. And, 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 and the Lord, I remember him telling me, well, are you always say I'm the pastor of the church? And you always tell the people that. In the last two and a half years, the last three years, the last five years that you've been plowing in ministry here, has that been all for you or was that for me? And I said, Lord, that was for you. And he said, then what's the problem? Move the church. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. And that's what I want to talk about to you today in Genesis chapter 22. Because faith is not truly faith until it's fully surrendered. Would you remember that tonight? Faith is not truly faith until it's fully surrendered. I think God is so awesome the way that He works because uh, we are worshiping right now. And I was like, man, the worship team has just done those songs exactly to the message that the Lord wants to share with us tonight. And really, this is a very important lesson to teach us to trust God. To teach us to trust God. Even when His timing doesn't make sense. Even when the process of how God is leading us doesn't make sense. I want to encourage you, even right now, do not question the ways of God. Because His ways are not your ways. And His thoughts are not your thoughts. We are so easy. We are so quick. We have the reputation of always questioning, Lord, why are you doing it this way? Or God, when are you going to do it? I want you to do it now. Lord, would you just do it? You promise me, Lord. And what happens is that because we do not like waiting, we start to doubt the promises of God. Well, I want you to remind you these very specific areas about our faith. The Bible speaks about our faith. And it says that, that the just shall live by what? By faith. The just shall live by faith. Paul tells the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. That every day we walk with the Lord by faith. It's not by sight. And not, it's not by the things that we can see. It's by the things that we cannot see. Not only that, in fact, Hebrews chapter 11, it, it would open up this way. Now faith is the substance of things so for. It's the substance of the things that you hope, the things that you cannot see. The evidence of the things that you cannot see. So here in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to learn really truly what does it mean to live by faith. Notice, it, it, it's, it's summarized in one word. And, and I pray that today you would realize through the life of Abraham that very word that should mean everything to you and, and, and faith, truly living out by faith, means this, obedience. It's obedience. And that we would be a people as a church that, that we are living, walking by faith because we're walking by obedience. Faith is always the starting point to obedience. And obedience is the only way to walk by faith. Abraham was enrolled in the school of faith. And his obedient faith was able to overcome the trials of life, the tests of life. Now, did you know that the test of faith is not only to reveal your obedience to the Lord? When you become tested in your faith, it doesn't only reveal 
your obedience, but it also reveals your love that you have for Him. And we know that Abraham had a real love for the Lord. So here we see a, a true examination, an opportunity to see into the character of a man that was now a hero of the faith for us. That we must listen to God's directions, listen to God's instructions and say, Lord, as you've called me to take steps of faith, Lord, I want to obey. I want you to teach me. I want to learn. Because that's what the test does. Not only does it teach you, but also it reveals what you have learned or what you have not learned yet. I think we all think we're very spiritual until it's time to take a test. And then we realize that we're not as spiritual as we thought we were. That we're not as holy as we thought we were. That we're not as filled by faith as we thought we were. You see, there's two types of tests in the lives of the believer. We have to learn to distinguish between the two. Some are trials and others are temptations. Temptations, it's been said before, are used by the devil to bring out the worst out of us. The worst out of us in a temptation. Trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best out of us. The trial. Why? Because the trial produces a more pure and a more holy faith. And when it comes to the fiery trial, I love the illustration that's been said before. When you're in the fiery furnace of the trial, you know what the Lord does? He knows how long you need to be in there. And He knows how hot it needs to get. In fact, someone once said that when God puts His people in the fiery furnace... He keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the clock. He knows how long and he knows how hot it needs to be in order to make you the person that you need to be. Why? So that at the end of the test, at the end of that trial, your life would glorify the Lord. Now I want to talk about three things as we look at this text. Number one, the call. Number two, the obedience. And then the blessing, the call, the obedience, and the blessing. Let's read here, Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, circle that word, tested. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood, the burnt offerings, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. 
So the two of them went together. And then they came to a place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, because it speaks to us so loud and clear. We ask that, Lord, today, on this evening, tonight, you would, Lord, encourage us when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our obedience, that our faith would be fully surrendered to you. Lord, if there are areas in our life that have not been surrendered, that we are holding on to, that today we would put those things on the altar. That there would be nothing that we would withhold from you when you ask it. We put this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Now notice, beginning in verse 1, in the first two verses, there we receive the call. The call to Abraham's life. In fact, the, God, the call in where Abraham was tested. Now it begins here in verse 1, and it said, And it came to pass. I love that place where it says, It came to pass. It means that it was going to happen. It was going to happen. It came to pass. You know what this reminds us of, that as we look at this text, that we should know and understand that tests of our faith will come to pass. Expect the test from God. Do not be surprised when it comes to pass in your life. It will come to pass. It will happen. There will be a test. That after these things, notice what happened. God tested Abraham. It's going to come to pass that God will test you. That God will test your faith. That God will test your devotion. That God will test your commitment. It will come to pass. And he said, Abraham, notice what happens here. And he said, here I am. Now, those words are so important in the life of a servant. You truly know that you're a servant of God. You're available for God to use you when you have this attitude. The here I am attitude. That when the Lord calls your name, you say, here I am. I'm available. I'm open. I have this attitude that not only Abraham had, but also who answered that way? Moses in the Bible. Isaiah in the Bible. These men that God used said, here I am. Lord, use my life. Here I am. Oftentimes, God calls our name into the ministry, into commitment to serve at church. Or to, he calls us to serve our neighbor. And instead of saying, Lord, here I am, you say, Lord, here I'm not. <laughs> or in saying, saying, Lord, here I am, use me, we say, Lord, here I am, use him. <laughs> here he's taking ownership. Lord, I want to listen to what you're about to say. Now notice this test comes at a very important time. Because God never sends a test until he knows that you're ready for it he knows that you're ready for the test and what does the test do first peter tells us the test will purify your faith that's what the test does it purifies your faith what does the test do in james the trial the test also perfects your character it produces maturity out of you that otherwise 
would not happen. Patience, it produces maturity. But it also, the test, will protect us from sin oftentimes. This is why we have to be ready to receive anything that God has in our lives. He's testing His faith. Why? Because He's ready to use them in a greater way, in a greater influence, in a greater sphere. You see, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If God was to trust Abraham, first He had to test him. If God's going to use you in a greater ability, if God's going to even entrust you with ministry, with a blessing, or with a gift, before He is going to trust you with it, He's going to test your character. He's going to let you suffer a little bit so that you learn to depend on Him. And notice what it says there in verse 2. It would describe, and He said, Take now your son, your only son. Now He says your only son three times in this text. This is the first time He says because He's describing His only son whom you love, or He says in a different translation, whom you love so much. I know you're Isaac. You love it so much. You love him so much. He's your only son. Now think about why Abraham loved Isaac so much. Why? Because he was the son of promise that he came from his wife, Sarah. And he he finally had that son that the Lord gave him. And he's saying, I know you love Isaac. I know he's the son of promise. I know he is the one that I promised that through Isaac, I will give you descendants and generations. It's going to happen through Isaac. So I know that you love him so much. I want you to take that son. And notice what he asks him to do. Whom you love. I'm going to remind you how much you love him. And go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering. On the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now when you hear this message from the Lord. You have to just think about what Abraham thought. He went back to prayer. He said Lord I, I, I need you to repeat that really quick. Because I want to make sure I heard that right. You're asking me to do What? I want you to grab your son whom you love, take him to the mountains of Moriah, and you're going to sacrifice him there. Let him be the offering. How often does the Lord do that to us? That, that thing that we love so much. He says, I want you to bring that which you love so much. And I want you to put it at the altar. Let that be the offering. And notice what is happening here. It's so awesome because he says, I want you to get to the mountains and then I will tell you what to do when you get there. I love those words. It says there, I shall tell you. In the future, I will reveal what I'm going to do once you get to those mountains. Once you get there, I'll tell you where that altar is or where I want you to build it, but go now. God's in the details. I will tell you. You see, God oftentimes only tells us what to do right now, and then when we get there, He tells you what what to do next. And we want to always know, Lord, would you tell me how every step of this process is going to look until we finally get to the promise that you have promised to my life or to my family's life? And he says, no, right now, I just want you to tell you this much. Obey here. And then after when you get there, I will tell you the rest. Now, notice what happens because now where he says, go now, this command activates a special testing in the life of Abraham. In the life of Abraham. But you see here now that this great faith is demonstrated in the life of Abraham because of his obedience. The Lord told him to do something. And notice what happens. He went and he did what God called him to do. Now, he knew very well 
that God already had told him that the son of promise was Isaac. That God would have blessed him already. But understand this, God's will will never contradict God's promises. And Abraham trusted in that. That God's will, that God will never ask him to do something that will contradict the promise that God already said. God will never ask us to do something that will contradict the promise that of what He already said. All things are working together for His purpose and plan. Now notice, who, what, what son was it that he received? Isaac, he was 100 years of age when, when Isaac was born. Well, what does it tell us even there and within that lesson that they we're never too old to fight new fights or face new challenges, fight in new battles, learn new truths, that we will never stop learning, growing, because when we stop learning, when we stop growing, then we stop taking steps of faith. And I want to ask you today, when was the last time that you took a step of faith to obey the Lord? It's needed in our lives. The moment that you stop, stop obeying and hearing the voice of God, you won't take a step of faith in obedience. And notice what happens after this call comes the obedience in verse 3 because it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't hesitate. He didn't delay. He didn't postpone this command. What did he do? God called him to do something and he did it. He didn't say, well, you know what? I'll try to do it another time. No, he went to the place that God had told him. He was ready. He prepared himself. And he went where God told him to go. Now notice what happens. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he rose and went to the place which God had told him. This is important. And he went to the place where God had told him. The worst place to be in is the place that God never called you to be at. That's the worst place to be at. Because God doesn't want you there. (laughs) There is nothing worse than being somewhere where God no longer wants you to be. And this is so important for us so that we always are in the center of God's will. What is Abraham doing? He's obeying even when it's not making sense. Because his faith is being fueled by his obedience. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to do what you called me to do. And it's not going to be easy, but I'm trusting in you. Notice what it says then. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Three days later, after he started walking, what happened? He saw the place and it wasn't close. It was still far. Now you have to just think about how Abraham now is being tested and then retested and then tested again. Genesis chapter 12, what is the Lord tell Abraham, I want you to leave everything and go. And he, Where? I'm not going to tell you. Just start walking. <laughs> leave your country, leave your family, leave everywhere and go. I'm going to show you where and I'm going to bless you. And here the blessing is about to be fulfilled. And right when it's about to be fulfilled, you finally have the son. The Lord says, I want you to go. Three days later, after walking up the mountains of Moriah, he sees it at a distance. It was not close. It was a journey. Now, why is it it's so important? I, I love when I, when I look at that and I see three days later, he looked at the place and it was far because that's what faith is. <laughs> that's what the walk of God is. It's a journey. It's not going to be close sometimes. It's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to take one step of faith after the other to get to the place 
for God's called you to obedience. One step of faith after the other to get to Mount Moriah. And he finally gets to the place that says, there in verse 4, as he's, he's approaching it, as he's getting closer, as he has not delayed, but he has obeyed. Did you know that delayed obedience is just as bad as disobedience? You would say, well, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm just going to wait a little while. No, delayed obedience is just as bad as disobedience. And we haven't really, we can't really say, well, I trust God if you haven't obeyed. Now, you want to know why it's really hard for us oftentimes to take steps of faith? When we look at the life of Abraham, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, the reason oftentimes why it's so difficult to take a step of faith is because we're scared of not being in control. You know, we want to be always in control. We want to have control over the logistics. We want to have control over the resources. We want to know that things are going to logically make sense. But that's not the way faith works. We have to trust the plan of God. And we have to now trust the process that He chooses to unfold that plan. Not only does God have a plan, but He also has a process on how He will unfold that plan. That process is not for you to select. It's for Him to show you so that we can walk in it. I like what D.L. Moody said when it comes to giving your life to the Lord. He said this, Give God your life. He can do more with it than you can. Isn't that the truth? Give God your life. He can do more with your life than you can. You know, when we don't trust God, when we don't obey God, you know what happens? Then we become complacent. When we go through the routines, we, we never are growing. And complacency is the very enemy of faith. It leads to lukewarm now spirit. And, and you know what the lukewarm does? And then it leads you then eventually to corruption. Don't be lukewarm. Obey what He's called you to do. So verse 5, it says this, And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, this is such an incredible verse. We can pass by this verse and never notice the amount of faith that it took for Abraham to say this. Abraham is going to sacrifice. God told him to sacrifice. And you know what he tells his men? Stay here. It's just going to be me and my son. And I wonder why, why did he not let them go with him? Because oftentimes when, when God calls you to do something, other people are not going to understand. They're not going to understand once you start going up that mountain, Moriah, and you have to sacrifice something that doesn't make sense. When you have to leave that job to go to a different one because God's calling you to do it. When you have to move a location, when you have to do something that, that logically it doesn't make sense. And I just see Abraham here in verse 5. He didn't want to be delayed by the other men. He didn't want to be distracted by them. In fact, just think about what would have happened if those men were there and he tied up Isaac. And what do you think they would have done? They would have maybe tried to restrain him or talk him out of it. So Abraham, don't do it. So he says, I can't take you with me because if I take you with me, you're going to talk me out of my personal step of faith and obedience. I can't allow you to do that. God already called me to do so. So he's going with determination. Notice in verse 5, without wavering, without questioning God's purposes. This is 
This is a costly worship. This is why he says here, we're going to go up and worship. And I love this. Because you'll say, I'll go yonder and worship, and we're going to come back. You know what kind of worship it's going to be? It's going to be a costly worship here. Because they're going to, do, they're going to offer a sacrifice. And whenever it comes to a sacrifice, I want you to know this, that if it didn't cost you anything, then how can you call it a sacrifice? If it didn't cost you anything, then it's not a sacrifice. Now, regardless of the cost, the safest place to be in, regardless of the cost, the safest place to be in is in the will of God. Not, not, not if you're comfortable, not if you're safe. Don't try to live in a place where you're safe. Live in a place where you're obedient. And he says, we're going to come back. <laughs> I love this that he says, we'll come back. Didn't, didn't the Lord say you're going to sacrifice Isaac? Why are you saying we'll come back? If, if it's just you and Isaac, that means just you're coming back. <laughs> no, but he has says this. He's so confident in his faith. He, he's really permanent in God's promises. God said that through Isaac. So it doesn't matter. In fact, I just see that Abraham is saying here, I have faith enough to believe that even if I sacrifice Isaac, God has the power to raise him from the dead. <laughs> Because we're both coming back. (laughs) I might sacrifice him, but it doesn't change his mind when it comes to the promises of God. Do not doubt God when he's calling you to do something in the process of taking you to the place of promise. So many times that because God has a process, because he has his own timeline, we start to doubt, oh Lord, you're not going to do this anymore. We focus on promises. We don't focus on explanations. I love that Warren Worsby says that, and, I, and, and we hold it so very true that we don't live on explanations as Christians. We live on promises. And here, Abraham is walking on promises. That's what happens when your faith is tested. You're able to bear what seems unbearable. Well, this seems unbearable, but your faith is tested now. You're able to bear that. You're able to do what seems unreasonable. When he expects you now to do what seems impossible. Now, now think about, look at Joseph in the Bible. What happened to him? He was in prison. Moses was standing at the Red Sea. His ta- faith was being tested there. David was hiding in a cave from Saul, his enemy. Jesus was hanging on a cross at Calvary. And the lesson is the same, that we live by promises. We don't live by explanations. Now notice what is taking place here. That on that day, that when we're being tested, we must go back. Remind yourself right now, if you're going through a trial, remind yourself, what has God said? What has God said? Charles Spurgeon, the famous prince of preachers, said it this way. The promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. That's so powerful. I'm going to say it one more time, that it would really sink into your heart. The promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. The very words of God that you're holding in your hand never mean more to you than when you are in the furnace of affliction, that you would hold on to that. And in verse 6 it says, So Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and the two of them went together. I love this. He's teaching his son. He's saying, son, we're going to sacrifice together now. 
he's going to teach his son Isaac that his father is a man of faith. <laughs> Notice what happens here, because it says, but Isaac spoke to his, Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Uh, well, dad, I see that we have the fire. I see that, the, that the, there's going to be a wood here, but I don't see no burnt offering. What's going to happen here? <laughs> How are we going to do this? And in verse 8, notice here, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now where it says God will provide, I love these words because this is what it truly means. It's translated to this. He will see to it. (laughs) When you don't know how it's going to happen, know this, he will see to it. I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. He will see to it. Well, the doctor has said something and the diagnosis looks bad. Well, he will see to it. Well, I'm having problems at work with my boss. He will see to it. That's what it means. The Lord will provide. He's depending now here on God's provision. He's not depending on what he doesn't have. He's depending on what God can provide. How many times have you are depending on what you don't have? Or the very little that you have. You're depending upon that. Don't depend on that. Depend on what God can provide. Now think about what is happening here. Because they go together now. They're just one side by side. Together. Two of them. And they come to the place here in verse 9. It says they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there. And he placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Notice what happens. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. And, and Abraham built the altar there for a sacrifice. He placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, on the altar on the wood. And you know what he's about to do here? This is what it looks like. Like the song we just sang. He was surrendering his son. You know what the, the altar represents? It not only represents sacrifice. The altar not only represents offering the altar here not only represents obedience but the off the altar here represents surrender he's surrendering his son up to the lord he's saying lord here's my son and and it says here in verse 10 and abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son yes he loved isaac but he loved god more Think about that today. Yes, he loved Isaac. He loved him so much, his only son. But he loved God more still. Notice what happens here. Because he's teaching us to go to the altar to do what? The altar is the place where we give up that Isaac. Where we give up that very thing that God is saying, I don't want this blessing to turn into an idol. (laughs) Has God ever given you a blessing? And, and, and you know what we are very uh, good at doing as, a, as believers, in our, even in our sinful nature? We're very good at turning blessings into idols. And one of the things you don't want to do, and the Lord reminded me of this even recently, don't ever allow the blessings that God has given you to turn into idols. Not even your gift. Not even your calling. I don't want to be in love more with the ministry than I am with the Lord. I don't want to be more in love with teaching than I am in love with God. (laughs) More in love with going to church than I am in love with being in His presence truly. 
Here, Abraham is giving us the example of obedience, which means denial of self. He's denying himself, what he loves. He's offering it to the Lord. In Matthew 16, what did Jesus say to his disciples? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. There it is. You want to be a disciple? Deny yourself. Every single day, deny yourself of what you want to please me. And then take up your cross after that and then follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he says, what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about that. What is most important? So here it says now in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Notice he's being sensitive here, being sensitive to what the Lord is saying. He's listening to the Lord. The Lord is speaking to him every step of the way. And he says, do not lay your hand on your lad or do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Notice. Now I know you truly love me. Now I know it. I love the word that says, now I truly know you fear God because you have not withheld your son. Here he says the second time, your only son. You know what the powerful word there in verse 12 is? Withheld. You have not withheld. You demonstrated your faith. And you know what he was? In Abraham it says, in God's word it says that, that he was now justified because of his faith. He was declared right with God because of his faith. And his faith was demonstrated in his work. And notice what it says here. He did not withhold anything from the Lord. Is there anything today that you're withholding from God? Is it your time? Is it your gifts? Is it your treasures? Your resources? Is it your, is it your talents? You see, when we take a step of faith and we trust God, notice with the outcome. Don't try to have control over the outcome. You take the step of faith, trust Him with the outcome without any reservations to be able to say, Lord, whatever my Isaac is today, I don't want to withhold it from you. Here it is. Every area of my life, I need to surrender it because my spiritual loyalty belongs to you. I don't want the gift to become more important than the giver. I want you always to be number one. I want to relinquish any idol surrender so I can come with clean hands and a pure heart to the Lord. And notice what happens here. God gave Isaac to Abraham. And what did Abraham do in return? He gave Isaac back to God. (laughs) That's the way we have to do it. Lord, you gave it to me. I'm giving it back to you. I'm giving it back to you. So it said here in verse 13, And Abraham lifted his eyes. And he looked there behind him and was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up, a burnt offering instead of his son. The Lord provided a ram. <laughs> right there. Notice what happens. He lifted his eyes and here's the idea of the substitutionary atonement for the very first time in the Bible is introduced to us. Where we find the fulfillment in the death of Christ even as a picture here of the cross and the illustration That Jesus is our sacrifice and he took our place. God provided a ram for Isaac in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he provided a lamb for the whole world. That lamb was Jesus. Notice, what a a picture here it says. And it says in verse 14, Abraham called that name of that place, the Lord will provide. Isn't it amazing, that name that he now is revealed to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. 
The Lord will provide here. Why? Because, and it's said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Remember that. On the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. On the mountain of surrender, on the mountain of obedience, on the mountain of sacrifice, it shall be provided. Every time we take a step out in faith, God meets you there and then He provides. That's what I love what Pastor Chuck always said and what we say in Calvary Chapel, where God guides, what happens? God provides. We all know it. God guided him there and then God provided there. What a reminder there for us that God reveals himself as the Lord will see to it. As Jehovah Jireh on the mountain of obedience, the Lord meets him there and then provides. Now notice what happens in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven. He said, by myself I've sworn. This is the blessing. Now we looked at the call, the obedience, now the blessing. Myself, I've sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld, again that word, your son, your only son. Third time he says that, your only son, because you obeyed me. And everything and anything that I asked for you, you gave me. Now, here's the blessing. The blessing always comes after the obedience. Notice this. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. I'm going to give you blessings. I'm going to have you conquer the gates of your enemies. There's going to be victory. He's giving them reaffirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. What does it mean? In Genesis chapter 12, he said, I'm going to give you land, seed, or generations, and blessing. Here he's reaffirming that because of his obedience every step of the way. Because you've obeyed me, he says. In your seed, out of you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed, here's the key, my voice. Are you listening to that voice? You see, you can't obey the voice if you don't know how to listen to it. Do you know how to listen to the voice of God today? Do you know what He's saying to you? Is He calling you to Mount Moriah, to the place of surrender? Or you say today, I want to surrender to the Lord. Verse 19, it says, So Abraham returned with the young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now, the place of sacrifice, you know what it became? The place of obedience. You know what it became? The place of surrender. Do you know what it became? It became the place of blessing. And today, the place of surrender can become the place of blessing for you as well. God will not lead you. God's grace will not lead you where His grace cannot keep you. Where his grace cannot, if he's calling you to do something, if he's calling you to obedience, notice he is going to keep you there. Hudson Taylor, a very well known missionary of China, it said that everywhere he moved to in China as a missionary there on top of his chimney, he had two plaques on top of his chimney, no matter what house he went to. On one of them, on the plaque, it said the word Ebenezer. On the other plaque, it said Jehovah Jireh. The word Ebenezer means, here there too hath the Lord helped us. Up until this point, the Lord has helped us. Up until now, God has helped us, Ebenezer. And then next to it, it says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Do you know what happened to Hutchin Taylor? That whether he looked back or we looked ahead, he knew that the Lord was at work and he had nothing to fear. Up until now, God has helped me. <laughs> and that means that the Lord will provide. Amen.